Carrying huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain so close. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. During my racing years and even now, I take my health and nutrition pretty seriously, I must say. It was so difficult though to stick to a routine and to remember to take all those necessary supplements. Then I found AG1. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. Now you might ask, what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I have never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. Honestly, I actually look forward to taking it. I do it first thing in the morning. I feel more alert and focused and I know I'm taking care of my body and health. I feel energized to get my day going. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be easier and that's why I trust AG1. I just mix one small scoop with water and drink it first thing each morning as I said and then I'm done. So check this out. With that one scoop of AG1 I've been talking about, you're absorbing, listen to this, 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics and adaptogens to help start your day right. This is a special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system recovery and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and none of that nasty chemical artificial anything, all while still tasting good. Now let's all be honest with each other. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality recovery, mental clarity and alertness. Now, I don't care what you do in life. I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by so many professional athletes and health experts. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle. That's again drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The link will be in the show notes as well. Thanks to our episode sponsor ODI. Now I've been on these and only these grips for well over 20 years. How cool is that? I clearly remember we couldn't even get them in South Africa back in the day when I was a junior. The minute I got my hands on a pair of these lock-on grips, I never looked back. They are the original lock-on. They have an incredible range of options out there. But I want to tell you a little bit about something new they're offering. Drawing on over 40 years of experience of producing performance-driven grips and feedback from their extensive network of top riders across the globe, the Reflex Grip have been engineered to reduce impacts and vibration being passed onto the rider's hands to allow you to ride more with less pain and fatigue. Reflex grips are the latest innovation in impact dampening to keep you riding longer and farther as they've been specifically engineered to reduce vibration, like having suspension for your hands without compromising control. They use their propriety grip compound with its superior impact damping properties and couple this with responsive ribbed padding that actively flexes under your hands to reduce impacts and torsional forces. Now those are some fancy words, but let me tell you, this just really is going to help you with less fatigue, less pain, you're gonna be able to ride longer. So what's not to like about that? 
Not to mention their version 2.1 lock-on grip system gives you the most reliable, slip-free grip performance available. Hey, if you want to learn more, head over to odigrips.com or pop into your nearest retailer. Hello and how's it? Welcome back to the show. This is Moving the Needle Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Nietling. Thanks so much for all the reviews. I read all of them, the direct messages, sending in those questions for the listener, episodes that we do and make sure you follow the show on whatever audio platform you are using so you don't miss an episode now before we get to the next episode just remember this is part two with mick Hanna, the legend and if you miss part one make sure you quickly go download that one it might be better to start there before you jump into this one now let's get into the conversation with mick and remember this is part two um now all the frenchies basically and amory's one of those guys, but with Amory, Loris, Loic, all like that whole group of French guys, they're all different riders and they're all pushing the sport quite far. And now, I mean, yeah, the field's so deep now, but <laughs> you got Finn and uh, Kolb who just won last weekend. And um, yeah, it's an exciting, it's an exciting time to be watching the sport. But, um, and in, people always talk about how impressive Greg is and he is the greatest of all time and all that and when I look and think of all those steps that the sport's taken and and the way that those kind of exciting riders come and lifted the game it is really impressive to see the way Greg took on all those lessons in each in each period and stepped up and kept winning and I won't be surprised if he wins again you know it's well you can never rule him out but i kind of have to yeah. have a new rule in the podcast there's too much like bigging greg up <laughs> on this podcast yeah but then you're like well how can you not because yeah. you normally have something to compare to yeah and then you have then we know where someone sits or if someone's mm-hmm. mental game is good and unfortunately he has set the bar he is the bar yeah for the longest the most wins mm. and i think all riders that have been in the paddock can sort of envy or respect his mental Mm -hmm. side of the sport it's clearly also what's setting him apart Mm -hmm. so that's probably that's elusive you know like physical you can work on Mm -hmm. you can risk more you can test more Mm -hmm. but it's that untangible where you're like i don't know what he does what works for him is not actually going to work for me yeah and that's why it's almost like this holy grail Mm -hmm. of keeping your mental side. i think loik's worked on a lot Mm -hmm. works with a psychologist greg swears he never has gone to and doesn't want to doesn't want to break what he's got Mm -hmm. yeah something i think i see is you've got to have a certain amount of humility to be able to take on board what all these other riders are bringing into the sport these guys all brought in new things and greg was never like no this is the way you do it he just looked at him and thought why can't i do that too and took without throwing his skill set away, he took on board the things that would help him to maintain that level. And, um, it, it really is like, you've got to have a certain amount of pride and kind of arrogance, all of us, to line up at a race and believe you're going to win, but to also mix that with the humility it takes to be able to always question what you're doing and make sure it's the right thing and it's the most helpful thing and to be able to take to be so competitive with somebody and also 
learn from them. That's a real, that's a mental skill that I think Greg does well. How's that been for you over the years? Like adapting, obviously you had a certain level of cockiness coming from Australia as a junior, you would have had to. Mm-hmm. You were self-assured. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was, there's no vanity to it. You're just self-assured of what you want. You're goal-driven. But then always having that level of like, it's never good enough. Mm-hmm. It's quite a draining way to live. Yeah. He's like, I got second, I could have been better. I won, but I wasn't a perfect run. Like, mm-hmm. Sport can also be quite challenging in that way. Mm-hmm. How was that for you over the years? It seems like you've sort of grown into realizing, you know, sometimes what I did is good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a really hard time with the transition into the professional scene because you kind of touched on it before with bringing a junior to world champs and they may have never warmed up. And then suddenly you're forcing them to do a warm-up routine and that's completely out of their normal. Um, that's something that certainly back then I don't think was done very well as someone like myself, for example, getting put into this scene and then you get surrounded by coaches and all these people that certainly are good at what they do and they're good trainers and all that sort of thing. But like you're already one of the best guys in the world. And to change everything I did was not the right thing to do. Not that it was changed, but it caused me to question everything I did. I'd be like, oh, I need to do what Greg's doing or I need to do what Sam's doing. Because I'm now in the Or I need to do what Pete, yeah. And it's like, no, I'm already here. And that's kind of what I try and share with the juniors if I get the chance to spend time with them at World Champs is you were selected because you're the best in the country and you're here to represent and like just be yourself because you don't you've kind of get to that level of race especially for the first time and think okay now I've got to go 10 seconds faster and it's like no you're the best guys in the world that's why you're here you don't have to step it up like the other guys need to step it up to keep up to you you know and just to be able to kind of reinforce with the junior guys like no you've you've been doing a good job you're here and we can learn and grow and like figure things out and improve but but you've already made it here and being able to just encourage them in that I think that would have been that would have been really helpful for me and um I also want to talk about that cockiness that I had at the beginning of my career I feel like I've always I've always really loved the competitors around me and looked up to them and and that was no different back then but coming from Australia I was like super sarcastic <laughs> and I think that came off as cocky quite a lot. I remember at my first World Cup I was in the Rock Garden in Maribor with Miles Rockwell. We we're all standing around puzzling because it was it's the Maribor Rock Garden and it's gnarly, you know. And he was being nice and he's like, oh, how's it going, you know. Oh, like something about struggling with the rock garden and I made a comment along the lines of like, oh, it's easy, you know. And I was like, I was completely being sarcastic. I was stopped there because I was confused. But then later on, Martin sat me down and he's like, I know you probably didn't mean it, but Miles just, he thinks you're 
cocky little prick, basically. And yeah, I was I like, even, oh, man. I think I was like, you've called me out. Like, I don't even think we've spoken enough that it's sometimes just your, like, innate banter, cockiness yeah. with the boys at home. We yeah. don't actually mean it maliciously. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, it's easy, man, whatever. Like, yeah. Not thinking twice. Yeah, and That's it's like hilarious. And he's and like, my assumption, Martin, like yeah. who's this cocky kid you yeah. hired? Like, dude. Yeah, and I'm I'm from this like I'm standing here as a seventeen year old kid, like next to the world champion. I was like, couldn't even believe I, he was talking to me. And then yeah. My intention was not communicated very well. But I also <laughs> like that Aussie kind of sarcasm is quite strong and I learned early on that the US doesn't have the same appreciation for sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think yeah. sometimes it, there is a bit of gamesmanship as well. Yeah. Every, everyone does it. Yeah. You probably included, probably oh, for realizing sure. that it could help. So, whatever. Especially in BMX when I was a kid, I remember like messing with the guys I was racing with quite a bit. Do you remember bit, any like, specific things? <laughs> There's one. Um, the last national championships I won on a BMX when I was 12, I think. One of the kids grew at that age, you know, some kids hit puberty first and this kid was like usually kind of like he'd get fourth or fifth at nationals and this year he was fast because he grew a foot <laughs> or whatever, you know. He grew before we did. Anyway, the weekend before, um, the weekend before national champs, I knew that he was supposed to win this race and he got nervous and hit the gate and like messed the got last, you know. And in BMX you line up and staging for like an hour before the race, standing around together and I spent quite a bit of time talking to him about <laughs> that last that race the weekend before. Like what happened? Why'd you hit the gate? You know, like I used to do some a lot of stuff like that. But and he did. He chose a lane next to me and he hit the gate and went over the bars in the final and I rode down the start <laughs> hill with this big smile on my face. <laughs> I mean, <Yeah. clears throat> excuse me, you are only, mm. you've got yourself to blame. Like it's part of the mental toughness mm. is to block out some of this game, gamesmanship, yeah. right? Like everyone plays head games, you know? Yeah. To, to yeah, and it's, it's part of the game. More than others. It's part yeah, of the sport, man. It's part of the game, yeah, for sure. But I do have like... I know what it takes to be at the level that we're at and um, I've got a lot of respect for my competitors. Yeah, no, that's definitely yeah. come through. Like I've been on a team with you and that's obviously been, it was actually an awesome experience. But going back to this career, I mean, was it Vigo, your World Cup win? Yeah, 2006. Yeah. That's pretty special to sit here, you know, down on career, down, you, you know, you can. Mm -hmm. Reflect, you know, whether, you know, life's not about that, right? Mm -hmm. You would know. You've got, you have kids, um, you're married. Um, still got to be quite nice. But like, oh, I did actually win one of these stupid things I was <laughs> yeah. going after for so long, yeah. you know? Yeah, I tried 105 times. <laughs> yeah. It's better than most, man. Yeah. There's only a select few that, that can put their name at the mm -hmm. top of the leaderboard at a World Cup, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a... A box ticked that I'm very thankful for. You work very hard and I'll never forget being at, when I was nine or something, I went to a BMX race and 
the kid there was a kid in my class there with the one W on his plate. And he was nine year boys world champion. And I just that week when well, my goal was just to beat him. And I did beat him that weekend. And I was like, I'm gonna be world champion one day. And that was a very clear thought, goal, vision and yeah, I haven't achieved that just yet. <laughs> Gotten quite close a few times. Very, very but, close. So many times. Yeah. But I mean winning a World Cup. But to have won a World, World Cup championship, but you were the best yeah. in the world. Yeah. Yeah, getting that at World that Cup time. win is yeah, it's pretty special. You remember it at all? Like did you feel like it could happen that week? Were you just going about your business? <laughs> like Yeah. Was there a thought like <laughs> did you qualify well and you're like, shh, mm. I could win this thing? Yeah, I did qualify well. It was I felt comfortable there. It was quite it was like in a eucalyptus plantation in Spain, so it kind of felt that, like an Aussie felt similar to Peter Maritzburg as well. Yeah. You know, similar sort of terrain and um yeah, qualifying I qualified fastest. That was it's actually kind of a funny story. My mechanic it was the first race of the season and he was a new mechanic on the circuit and he did me a favor and put new brake pads and rotors on before my final run and didn't tell me about it. So And you I still won. Dropped into the first corner and qualifying nearly killed myself because I had no brakes. In quali. In quali, oh, yeah. In quali. And I did qualify fastest. Maybe because I had no brakes. I don't know about that. <laughs> Just had to turn. But, um, yeah, so I was feeling I was feeling confident. One interesting kind of fact about that run is about halfway down, it was like a two-minute track, and I've often done well at shorter tracks that I, I enjoy the high intensity. And, mm. um, and it was like carrying speed as well. It would have been a good track for you. I mean, yeah. It clearly was. Yeah, and from halfway point, there was like a little chicane through these tight trees, and... During practice, I thought, I'm pretty sure I can death grip from here to the finish. <laughs> and and I did in the final. I come out of that and I was just like death gripped and death gripped to the finish. It was like a pretty scary minute of my life. But, yeah, then I ended up winning the race and it was worth it. And the race is history. Stayed between the tape. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, you've had many teams many teammates so there's some fond fond memories or like mm -hmm. yeah that that was a good period or i was i got on with the teammates well like mm -hmm. in the downhill side what what were some of the favorite sort of memories yeah that's a hard question to answer <laughs> what, <laughs> i've had a lot I'm of here and I was yeah a don't want to talk you about that yeah <laughs> we know we know it wasn't yeah. those years yeah i've really there's always been ups and downs obviously there's hard periods and stuff like that and you kind of get annoyed with each other when one or both of you or all of you are having a tough year or whatever or you have a few mud races in a row and everyone's tired but um, generally I'd have very positive memories the hard years of my career have been just due to hard times I've had in my personal life and you think there's a direct kind correlation of, there yeah when you when you go to a race and you're not you know you're not fully prepared and just exhausted from all that stuff that's going on at home, then that makes it pretty tough. And it's then the job gets hard. But um, one of the huge blessings about what we do is we're surrounded by super passionate people who are all here with 
similar kind of enjoyments in life and similar goals and so sometimes there might be little competitive things here and there within a team but generally once you get to know each other it's just awesome to get to work with all these passionate people and I've had one of the best memories of teams team life was with GT obviously they have they have a good vibe in that team always um, Steve Spencer is the team manager and um, I mean he's more global marketing director now for GT but uh, he does a really good job of putting good people together and and having a good balance of doing a professional job and also enjoying our days in life and um, that made for a really good time and and helped me to learn as well how to approach racing and this whole like this kind of industry that we are in Maybe it's help important. with a bit of the stress, like if you're getting too serious or yeah. too burned out. And that was the team I was on when Terry, my mechanic, was, like that story I told before about taking me out to get a little buzz before, <laughs> like the night before the race, you know. And just that, that's really important, the work-life balance to be cliche. It's not really balance is not really the right way to put it, I don't think, but more of integration of... Or a happy rider's... Yeah probably a fast rider right and you've got yeah. to figure out what you need in that in that time yeah and whatever we're doing it's like i mean we're racers but whatever you're doing in life if you want to be a good husband a good father and a good employee or a good business owner or whatever it is like you've got to you've got to do it in a healthy way and sometimes you can get stuck into just burying yourself and working too hard and your productivity drops by half and you're not you're getting less done and you're way more stressed so and that's in racing all those lessons you just get supercharged <laughs> you you learn so much in one day at a world cup race of how to do all that well and especially yeah, if you've got people good people surrounded yeah surrounding. they say like a golf round is five hours of your life emotions all in one but i would say a race week mm -hmm. also encompasses probably most of the emotions you feel in mm -hmm. life you know, all different yeah. highs and lows and anxiety. There's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, the calm before the storm and all those sort of things. What led to you doing that first retirement? Remember you walked away, took a year off, two years off? Yeah, so the end of 2007 was, um, yeah, it was just really stressful year that year. Yeah. Um, just at home mostly and not being able to train properly. Then you come to a race and you're not, fully prepared and just too much anxiety and I just I was riding for Cannondale at the time and I got they offered me to renew my contract for a little bit less salary than I was on but still still a good contract and um, I just said when do you need to know my answer by and they gave me a deadline and I called them on that date and said I'm not going to race anymore and I was like Basically, I appreciate the offer and I'm not going anywhere else. I just, I'm, I'm done. And I had no intention of riding again. Yeah, this was a proper full retirement for you. You thought yeah. I'd done what I set yeah. out to do and I mean, there's more to life. I just wasn't, you weren't happy. Yeah, I just crazy. wasn't, it just was not, life wasn't working. And then, yeah, I just made the decision basically to go and get a normal job. And then we, that was when... Um, 
we decided to start trying to have kids and had my first son, which is super awesome. He was born the end of 2008. And yeah, I went back, like we went back to Cairns and I worked landscaping for my buddy Miles for a while and I quite enjoyed that. And then uh, as Hannah was getting closer to having the baby, we went back to Colorado and I worked on a potato farm over there for a while. And I enjoyed that too, almost. The guy I was working for kind of offered to help me buy a farm at one point and but he was also into mountain bikes and he encouraged me to ride my bike. <laughs> so you should be riding your bike, not working for me. And um, Did he start the thought process for you to come back? Yeah, I had no intention of ever racing again. Didn't want to, didn't, like, I went for a long period of time without even touching a bike. Didn't how crazy it? is that now, thinking about how motivated you are now to yeah. 40? Yeah. You might have stopped, like, how many years? That's like 15 years ago. Yeah. You could have potentially had 15 years less in the sport and still had an amazing career. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's just... Like, that seems trippy to me. It's hard to wrap my head around. <laughs> yeah. Still have had the World Cup win, still have good yeah. results. And yeah, it's crazy. And something that I would say I'm really, really thankful for is at that time, I really hated bikes. I didn't touch a bike i didn't even want to look at Super a bike resentful to the sport or what? just over it i wouldn't yeah. say resentful no, that's burnt up. that wouldn't be fair but yeah just burnt out over it so much stress was tied like to that period of my life mm. and i was just relieved to be digging holes basically like i was working landscaping shoveling concrete and pavers and what i like working hard and loving it and just like mindless work you know and now I just have such a passion for it. I feel more in love with it now than when I was a teenager dreaming of doing this. And, and that has also changed the way that I remember those first years. And even though that stress and all that's still there, I just have such an appreciation for what it was. And I look at, if I had have just never came back, then I would have always had kind of, an average at best view of what my career was. And now I look back at that, at those, even those hard years and have like, I look at it positively, you know, so um, that's a real blessing and in, in having the opportunity to come back. And what was the conversation like with this guy that said, maybe you should ride again? Or did he just try to get you to ride on the weekend with him? Like what was the process from, <clears throat> excuse me, working a full-time job thinking you're never going to race again to racing again what did that period and process look like yeah it wasn't super complicated no <laughs> he just made that comment one day and that was all we talked about and i sent a message to two people i think i think i sent a message to jeremiah dylan dean and martin whiteley and said if there's anything available i'd be interested and then i got a call from steve spencer with um, was actually with going to be with Mongoose. Is that because of the Rockshot connection with Jeremiah, or like how did that? How did you link there? No idea. I was just, just I was just friends with Jeremiah and started hearing friends with Martin and you're on the market. Maybe I just wanted to, I just let him know and left it. I didn't pursue anything. I just sent quick message to each of them and and that's kind of the way I do life. I'd, doors open and close, and I don't generally stress about it too much you know it's like 
you kind of touched on it before when you talked about when your career ended and you're saying now sometimes you don't get offered a new contract or like it kind of the decision gets made for you in a way and for me I actually love those times because it saves me having to make a decision you know like and you, then I get excited for the opportunity that's next and um, so that's kind of how it was like trying to be sensitive to those little things that come up in life like the fact that my buddy was like yeah you should ride your bike and it's kind of a there can be so much doubt in our minds and when someone from the outside just gives you a word like that it's like oh yeah that maybe that does make sense and that was kind of the so you believe a little bit more in serendipity than other people might or did it is there a gut feeling I'm learning to understand that yeah. as well. It's it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, the universe is sometimes telling you these things. Yeah, but you're on this path, single-minded, mm -hmm. and there's these inputs, but you're not open to them. But you seem very open to them, mm -hmm. or maybe you've learned to be very open. That that was mm -hmm. maybe a sign in a crazy way. Yeah, well, that's um, I'm a Christian. I believe in the Bible. Believe in Jesus, and that. I've grown up with that. I've born into a Christian family and it's kind of been our lifestyle, but also that's where that all comes from. And mm. biblically it's trusting, like trusting. there's a lot of people talk about it in different ways, but biblically in the way I believe it's like the Holy Spirit and being out of trust. Like I don't believe any of us are an accident. I don't believe our lives are an accident and being able to be sensitive to that kind of leading through life and that it kind of takes the pressure off in some ways, but it's not a, it's not kind of just going with the flow either so much. You've got to learn to be sensitive to those things and and take the steps in the right direction or in a direction. So I got like f back to the contract thing, for example. It's It was just a simple comment that was kind of out of context or out of like out of the ordinary of our daily conversation and then you're like, oh, that, yeah, sure. And at that point, I was actually like a lot less negative about bikes, but I wouldn't say positive either. Just I was like, oh, yeah, maybe. And then just sent two messages and forgot about it. Like the whole between that comment and the messages I sent probably took three minutes out of my life and then carried on with work, flying, hunting, whatever. And then I got a call from one person, was Steve Spencer, and I re-signed for the same money that I was on on Cannondale. Oh, so before. the deal was pretty decent. It was, yeah, like... That's cool. Cannondale offered me like a 15% decrease on my salary, and the contract I got for GT was the same as what my contract was on Cannondale. So it was like... Had a year off and got a pay rise essentially. That's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. Then then that's like yeah, back to that question of like, well, that's confirmation, you know. And then then I went to the first World Cup and got second. And I was like Yeah, I was good. That is a we mustn't brush over that part. Yeah. And for me that was another confirmation. Yeah. Because it was the right choice. Yeah. Because that's insane. Like to go show up. Where in was it again? Peter Maritzburg. Yes. So I was suited. Behind annoying Greg Minard at home. Yeah. 
it was suited to my strengths and all that. And but I was like I'd been driving a tractor, you know. I wasn't. Yeah, how much and prep I, did you do I mean, into I, that season? I trained like I lost lost my farmer fat and. Yeah, but how many months? But like four months, five months. Yeah, well, months? that would like, have been what did, like what did it actually look like? Yeah, probably th- three or four months from signing a contract to racing the World Cup, or yeah. But I wasn't like, like I was in America. I wasn't doing a million runs or anything like that, you know. And I went back to Australia around Christmas time. But got your dad to take you for a couple of runs down Coranda, yeah. whatever it's called. Just yeah, and there was like, <laughs> yeah, life is insane at that time. But it's <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a blur. <laughs> I'll bring that up. Yeah, those, yeah, fair enough. Those months were a bit of a blur, but um, but essentially it was like it wasn't like I had perfect preparation. I just the opportunity presented itself, and it it just kind of it fell into place. Or those those stepping stones were in front of me, and I just followed it and trusted it, and and now we're here. And what so. would you say there was a different version of appreciation and presentness, maybe once you came back? Especially the team obviously had this good mm. vibes, <clears throat> but you literally on a farm or shoveling mm. cement. Maybe once you got on the bike again, you're like, oh, this is pretty good life. Mm. You know? Yeah, I don't really remember specifically thinking this is a better life than that. Like the thought of having a potato farm, was I was quite excited about that too. Like that lifestyle is for sure it has stresses, but compared to racing, stress is, you know, we, we're used to high stress and... Um, but being kind of I enjoy mechanical type work and I got to weld and build things and fix tractors and drive tractors and it's like you kind of got to get work done at certain periods of the year but then it's like all the stress just comes from potato prices from year to year essentially. So um, I love like I worked farming before I'd signed my first contract and I enjoy it, I enjoy just being outside and maybe I used the wrong word. Better is so. not the correct word. I think now that mm. I'm withdrawn from racing, when you're in it, you think that's the only way to mm-hmm. make a living. That's the only way to challenge yourself. Mm-hmm. Like I'm well aware, like this is more to life. There are the ways mm-hmm. to get a salary. There are the ways to challenge yourself. Um, so maybe better wasn't the, the mm. right word, but. Um, for sure it must have been super interesting just being back in the bike world yeah straight off the bat you get sick and you're like whoa okay and yeah I'm meant to be here mm-hmm. right now yeah I had like the best season of my career actually yeah. like I podiumed at the first four world cups and I just couldn't believe it so yeah I yeah mean, it's kind of no surprise like if you were burned out you need Sometimes you mm. need a break and you reset. You need a holiday. You need... Yeah. That's yeah. That's why... With what I know now and looking back on it, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time, I was like... I just like stepped out of a tractor onto the World Cup podium, you know? <laughs> I was like... And and it really was for me just a confirmation. I didn't know what the right thing to do with my life was at the time. And for it to be so, quote, unquote, easy to just step back into that was it just showed that yeah all this work like my whole life to that point that's what I had done 
and being passionate about and, and just trusting what you're passionate about. Growing up, like going back to growing up in quite a strict Christian family, my parents challenged kind of the family routine by taking us racing in the first place. My grandfather came and watched a BMX race one day and said he was going home to pray for forgiveness when <laughs> after was, watching. That was so really like, against your family's faith, view on faith, like yeah. prior to your parents' generation. Yeah. My We've dad, spoken about it a bit. Yeah. Is, does faith help you with trusting sort of outcomes? 100%. But it's also all I know. Like some of the hardest times in my life, I just don't know how people survive without it. Kind of That's how I feel. And and it's never failed me. So that's my experience and it's I'm a kind of a more of a logical mechanical kind of person so I'm I'm not superstitious. I don't have I don't have to put my left glove on first and you all that sort of stuff undies. like definitely don't have yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've never it's had funny, huh? I've never understood all of that stuff like it's pointless. It's, it's not like and it's not pointless. Real, well, like it is and it pointless, isn't. But, but yeah, it's a dangerous thing to play because what if you it lose can be the undies? Yeah. <laughs> that's the, you know. Yeah, that's true. Eventually, you have race goggles yeah. or su- like favorite goggles. Uh, you start running out of goggles. Yeah. If you have a few bad races. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in Europe. Especially <laughs> yeah. in Europe. Yeah. No, I don't mean to make fun but of it. I just no, think I didn't take it that way. We've had conversations mm-hmm. um, about this topic. But it certainly makes sense that mm-hmm. you can really accept the outcome yeah. and the process you've put in, which is technically what you should be doing, mm-hmm. especially in racing, but in life. Yeah. But I think you've also mentioned like it doesn't mean I sit on my ass mm-hmm. and trust that something good's going to happen. I'm putting the work in. Yeah. I send the text and then I go back to my work. Yeah. And if something comes, I can start trusting that. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean you... Just and start working. It's fall on your lap. Like yeah. You've everything you've done that I'm hearing is work, work, dedication, work, mm-hmm. um, and never give up. Really. Yeah, and another thing is learning that that passion I have inside me is part of me, and it's a, a beautiful thing. Like, and that's meant to be there. That's from my perspective a gift from God, and we're responsible to make the most of that, be good stewards of what we're given in life yeah. and whatever that is. And when I look back my whole life, like I didn't choose to be passionate about bikes. I was, I remember the first day I rode a motorbike, I was like, I don't know, four years old or something, but dad brought this little 50 home and he said, when you take your training wheels off your bike, you can ride the motorbike. I was like, well, take them off. <laughs> like, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, I rode the motorbike that night, <laughs> and but I just loved it. Like that motorbike, I had. We lived on a farm, and I had a loop around the driveway around the house, and I was four, five, six years old in that period, and I still remember every line on that track, like on the motor track. Yeah, I was just wanted to go fast, like I. And I was four years old. Like I didn't know, didn't choose that. It's just the way, that's just the passion that's always been in me. And every day of my life I spend time 
meditating on how to turn better. Like I, every day I think about like why do I suck so much at turning, you know. <laughs> it's not something I feel like I've chosen and it, I just love it and it drives me. Um, it's probably going to be an odd question because I don't think you have regrets or redos, but are there races or periods which you would, would like a redo? Yeah, that, that is a tough question. Yeah, like it that, makes you who you are, but are there mm. races like, yeah, fair enough, I would like a redo. Mm. Yeah, the I honest. crashed in the first turn at home. Yeah. For sure had pace to, to achieve a goal. Yeah. It made me who I am. Literally, it's not going to change my life in 10 years, whatever. Mm. But for sure, I want to redo there. That would be nice to not bin it mm. in the first turn like an idiot. Yeah, the answer is yes. Yeah. 100% Which yes. Where? What? All of them. All the world champs. All the ones that I didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> All the you know? <laughs> But I think something that we're good at in just through the life experience that we have and pushing ourselves is we don't dwell on those mistakes. We use them to our advantage. And, but I mean, of course you want everything to be go perfect. Of course you want to win every race. <laughs> like yeah. people are often like, ah, oh, what are your goals this weekend? And it's like, well, I never entered a race hoping to get second, <laughs> you know? No, not McHannah. No. <laughs> but everyone wants to win. Like the guy who's, struggling to qualify every week he of course he wants to win the like the realistic answer is no i want to get in the final or i want to get top 10 or i want to, whatever the goal is at the time but yeah, yeah it varies on track and like you yeah. say how much um, preparation you had you have to maybe adapt some of your expectations mm -hmm. right but an interesting thing for me as i reflect is i've won races where I've thought I didn't don't really know how to say this, but um, you didn't, I didn't really deserve it or I thought like someone else should have won. Like that, that effort, that run, whatever it was, wasn't my best. And it was good enough to win the race and that's awesome. And, and the reason you win is not because of that day like it's the 20 years leading mm. up to that or whatever. But um, one of my best races that I'm most proud of is Val de Sol a couple of years ago. might have been the year before I retired, um, the most recent time. <laughs> um, yeah, loose term. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the year before I stepped away from World Cup downhill. Qualifying, it started raining right before our qualifying run. Or well, maybe a couple of guys got through in the dry, but like two or three guys, and then it um, started raining. And I was feeling quite positive in the start gate, but then I fell once. And I was like, oh, that's annoying, whatever. But then I fell again, and then I was just – by the time I got halfway down, my mindset was like I can't wait to be at the finish so I can pack my bag and fly home. And I don't know how I'm going to get to the finish. <laughs> like – gloves are covered in mud just I was so completely over it defeated and got into the finish area and I was like frustrated trying to find an, an official to cut my transponder off so I could go to the pits and forget about downhill racing forever like I was ready to quit and then 
the guy was like, you need to get back on the lift. You've got to do a rerun. And I was just like, that was literally the worst news. The last thing you want to do. I could have got in this moment. <laughs> and But I was like, oh, well, I went back, like got in touch with the mechanic, changed my tyres, put some mud tyres on because the storm came in quite suddenly and unexpectedly. Um, and I was able to get back into a reasonable mental state and I completed a run, qualified okay, and then just reset that night, got refocused for the race the next day. And I think I got maybe like 40th or 50th or something, which was so much better than I could have done the day before. I would not have qualified. Even if I had a good run, I wouldn't have qualified. And to execute that race run and get 45th place or whatever, as one of the best results in my career. And then I went testing the day after the race and had a great time on the track, had a super productive test session. It was my first time testing 29ers, I think. And um, yeah, so that, it's like everyone always looks at the great results and, and that's awesome. And those are just the kind of rewards you get for the work that you put in over the years and, and the whole team puts in. But yeah, that race in Val is probably one of my best races ever. That's interesting because yeah. no person listening to this would think you would bring up a race like that. Mm. They might think you're most proud of the tournament, but it's like getting over mental adversity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it was... brings out the best in you over time. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the sport, also hearing, the sport kicks you when you're down. It definitely it kicks you in the nuts sometimes. <laughs> you normally have some big crashes where yeah. you sort of don't want to be there. Yeah. You know, and you're like on the ground wanting to pack it in, you know, mm-hmm. and it's... It takes a lot to like get back up and like, okay, I've got to accept Mm -hmm. that and move past it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, coming out of that race, I was like, I had all the joy, all the the excitement as if I'd just won a race. No ways. Just like, yeah. Yeah, racing's a, it's a funny, it's a funny thing. (laughs) Maybe it's a sore subject, maybe it's not. These world champs, results you had being so close obviously i can only imagine it hurts Mm. but were those some of your best runs you put down and maybe got beat on the day yeah yes i executed those runs the race you said i didn't execute but Mm -hmm. i still won maybe some of these races like you literally some of them really looked like you executed and Mm -hmm. put everything in and delivered and someone else was their day mm-hmm. in a crazy way. Yeah, and that's that's probably the thing that hurts the most, really. And also, like, it does and doesn't hurt because knowing that I did my best and didn't win is better than making a mistake and losing because it's like I should have won, but I didn't. Or, like, but having the the fact that I was able to execute my runs... And it just wasn't the fastest on the day for whatever reason. World champs is just, it's hard to win. It's better than crashing in the <laughs> yeah. last turn or something. Mm-hmm. You live with that. Yeah, that's super Like difficult. my run in Cairns, that's the, that's the main one. I lost by three-tenths of a second. And we had a bit of a gap on third place, like two or three seconds or something, and which doesn't sound like much maybe if you're not into downhill, but that's a country mile. That's a lot. <laughs> and, that's um, a hell of a hell of a lot. Yeah, and I knew 
I knew how to do the fastest run I could do on the track. I'd done testing. We'd done timed runs. I'd, I'd tried doing runs at just pushing as hard as I could and absolutely sending it down the track. And it was always a few seconds slower than if I just did it in a calculated way. And Sam, Sam and I got a lot of time on the hot seat that day. <laughs> and Sam kind of made the comment like, oh, it didn't really look like you were pushing hard and hard not hard enough that's not that's not what he said but it was kind of like didn't look like you really wanted it and but I knew what run I had to do to get the fastest time I could do down the hill and and I did that and like be me so that was for sure it hurts it hurt then it's in front of everybody and such a good opportunity and being a home race that comes with like that has an advantage to it regardless of whether you've practiced the track and um and he still beat me and that's just Loic as Loic like he's one of the greatest riders of all time and Loic at world champs is proving to be very difficult to beat <laughs> yeah I mean you've so, got a modern day Nicholas yeah. Lewis he's but, got five titles already but I guess it doesn't doesn't really I'm not sure sounds that sounds good but it doesn't soften the blow no I don't and, mean to bring it up like and it's been. I don't look at you any different, whether you've got the yeah. jersey or not. I don't. I don't. You know. And it doesn't. Tracy, with what happened, I'm not. Yeah. But you're Tracy, and you're this incredible rider and person. You mm. make. You've had this long career. Like, maybe in twenty years, it matters a hell of a lot less than even now because you're still yeah. racing. You know. Yeah, and and just having that thought when I was a kid, like I'm gonna be a world champion, you know, and it was no question. You got to be a mixer, didn't you? No, so that's part of what I'm getting to. (laughs) First time I got second at Worlds was in 94 in BMX. It was a photo finish for first, second and third. They couldn't separate us with the naked eye and I was second. And like I saw the, it's like sequence of shots and there's like the photo on the line. I was clearly in second by an inch or two. The next frame I was leading. That's how close that was. And I was 10-year boys, like it's not an elite title by any means. But And then the last time I got second was 2017. So it was that 23 years apart or something. And um, uh, I think there's five, I kind of figured out that five different world championship races, the combined losing margins, 1.6 seconds. For uh, you? Yeah with like junior worlds at downhill and, and I was second in South Africa, second in Cairns, third in Canberra. And yeah, so the one one that kind of hurt was Sierra Nevada because I was so sick and lost by two tenths of a second there as well. And it's kind of, you look back and think, some races I've executed perfectly, healthy, trained well, bike's good, done the work hometown advantage should have won like didn't just got beaten by the world champion then sierra nevada's like i was so sick that day like i i didn't eat on friday because the infection in my leg and the antibiotics i took made me feel so rotten forced myself to have dinner that friday night because i knew i had to race world champs the following day woke up at four o'clock in the morning vomiting diarrhea any food that I'd had was gone. Had a cup of black coffee in the morning, went for practice. 
before the race, I said to the team coach, like, I don't think I can ride. And I was like, body was shaking, had nothing left, you know. And he was smarter than me. <laughs> he said, well, you've got to get down there somehow. So you may as well roll down the track. He said, just roll out of the start. And when you feel like you can race to the finish, start sprinting. And I did just that, rolled about halfway down the track and was like, you forget that you feel sick and I started pedaling and my bottom split I think was maybe eighth fastest for the day out of the elite men and I was 10 seconds behind at that split and lost by two tenths of a second and you just think man I was so much faster than the other guys on that day still got second and and I executed my race very well that day too it was just things out of my control and yeah so out of control so it's interesting to reflect on all those races and the one the one in Canberra which was where PD won which is one of the highlights of my career is being able to stand on the podium with PD when yeah. he won his worlds um, but I did make a mistake in that race and for sure lost enough time to lose a race but at this world champs you got to be on the edge and yeah, it's down on Yeah. I just got unclipped and rode like a third of the track unclipped and I I had made the decision to run more XC type shoes and because it was there was quite a sprint at the finish and all that so um if I had worn my normal downhill shoes I might have won the race, you know, and, but then I might have lost the time in the pedal and whatever it is, but that's probably the one that and that was a home-ish race so in, in the home country anyway. But um, You felt it was an advantage to race at home? Because like, it, it adds to the pressure or did you mm. think that the advantages outweighed the negatives? For Cairns, I'm very thankful that we had the two World Cups leading up to it. The first World Cup we had in Cairns, I didn't race that well at all. I didn't, not race, I didn't do that whole week very well. I got too busy with media. To you, it's just overwhelming. You, you've got to say no so much, yeah. which isn't what I'm naturally very good at. And I like helping people out, and it's part of our job, you know, to do the media thing and and be a good ambassador in your hometown. Um, but through the World Cups in '14 and '16, Trace and I both really learned how to how to race at home. There's a lot more to it than just getting from the top to the bottom. So from that perspective, by the time we got to world champs, that was fine. But the pressure was insane. Sitting in the top, sitting in the start gate, and there's whatever there was, 10,000 people there. And the rock garden in Cairns is quite famous, and it's like 40 seconds into the race or something like that. And the it's just such a heckle fest like this when you if anyone foreign like they make any mistake in there they just get crucified someone crashes in the rock garden they're like one two three like counting them out like just full heckles silent cheers whatever the rider before me went through i can't remember who it was but <clears throat> and then <clears throat> when my start time was coming, I could hear the crowd building before I started. And you know that that, I mean, for sure it helps, but also it's like 
a lot of a lot of pressure and it's hard to hard to execute the run I had to execute with all of that excitement going around because it lifts like just a crowd lifts your energy it lifts your hormones yeah. it's like people in a group like that it's kind of that's how we yeah it's, can you hear words when you're going through the rock garden or is it a blur like it's noise it's like, a bit of both really yeah that's you hear bits and pieces and you kind of hear random stuff and then a lot of it's a blur and just yeah your mind's kind of you're so focused on what you're doing but then little bits and pieces get in you know yeah it's yeah I mean, just a few weeks ago crazy. we was finally able to win a race on that track at crankworks a few weeks ago and coming into the rock garden they're all like tracy tracy <laughs> so i was like <laughs> just giving you bent yeah just yeah so that, that was pretty though? fun like yeah that was family at home and it's can a special venue yeah for you guys far long you've been racing there yeah that was really special and there was a lot of there was a lot going on that week outside of the race that kind of made that special as well it was mum's 60th birthday that day and we had so we had some extra family around and it was uh yeah there was some good things and hard things going on at the same time that week, so it was a uh, was a really special one. That's damn good to hear. I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. happy for you. Maybe that's one of a a good segue to like wind it down down for us. You've probably got to do some testing and some riding, but I can't n- not ask you the thoughts on the downhill. Maybe the new format now that you've stepped away from downhill, mm-hmm. but still obviously just one of the most incredible races to race a sport. What do you what do you make of the new format? The semi, the final, the top 30. There's only been two races, so we're mm. give it more time. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. There's things that are interesting about it. Um, I'm not sure. It doesn't really feel like it makes sense to have the semi and final just from the perspective of having watched the races. It kind of... The semi-final doesn't make a lot of sense to me, really. You've got qualifying and the final, and then the semis kind of, I don't know, it just feels like it's a weird thing in the middle of nowhere. and um, Maybe, I don't know if it, I don't know if it takes away from the climax at the end of the downhill, but... Eddie mentioned he's wondering <laughs> if it kind of gives away some of the story that you're going to see in the final. Of course, from quality, you didn't have all the... It definitely the story of what you might see. I feel like it waters it down quite a lot. Yeah. And that's just my feeling. Yeah, I mean from a racer's perspective, like if I was there trying to race it, I would just be focused on how to do it better than the other guys. So I don't think I'd really care either way, you know. But from the outside, I definitely like when we separated qualifying in the finals on different days, I felt like that was a real positive thing for our sport. And as you say, it gave an opportunity to tell a story after qualifying and who did what or um, we've, we get points for qualifying. And these days the racing's so close that you can't just take it easy. You've got to go for the points. So it's not – the qualifying is the semi to me. And, um, and the top 30 thing, like – actually think that makes sense as a racer trying to qualify in the top 60 it's 
feels like a bummer to miss out if they cut it to 30, you know, but the reality is people aren't watching the top 10, 20 guys anyway, so um, your result outside the top 30 is still the result that it was going to be and unless you had a crash or a mechanical or whatever, but... Yeah, exactly. Like, there's that's the yeah. danger is not seeing the guys that might actually do a result or quick mm -hmm. on the track in the top thirty. But. Yeah, but that's that all comes out in the end. Like, the guys that are, have been consistent, they're protected. They're in the final. Yeah. The guys that might pull a result out in the next couple of years, they'll be protected. Hopefully. And if yeah, they yeah. don't get protected, then it just means they're they're not one of those top guys, you know, and. It's a hard thing to say, and no, being that I've been one of those guys, it's yeah, it feels harsh, but it's like one of the beautiful things about racing now is it's reality. There's so many things in society that's all about how you feel and all this, and it's kind of like, well, the stopwatch just said you lost the race or you won the race, or and that's awesome, and and being able to deal with that reality is really healthy for us, I think. Yeah, that came up, has come up a little bit. Like, it kind of answers the question if you're going to make it in the sport maybe a bit mm -hmm. sooner. Yeah. Because you can still see potential on a, in a guy if he's mm -hmm. not in the top 30, but he's qualifying a lot and, and mm -hmm. he's young. You're like, okay, I think he'll become a guy mm -hmm. that maybe is in the top 30. But maybe for other guys where, you know, they're just sneaking into the semi, which is top 60, but not getting close to top 30, mm -hmm. not getting airtime. Maybe that helps them make a decision early to transition or do something else, mm -hmm. which is harsh. But like you say, racing, I mean, you can't fake racing. That's, that's why real. we all line up and mm -hmm. there's a stopwatch, you know. Yeah, and that's kind of in testing too. <clears throat> you don't, like, I don't care what wheel size you use or how many clicks of compression you want or how wide your handlebars are. Or <laughs> the stopwatch is the only guy that I care about. If the 29er went faster, then that's what we're running. I've had <laughs> arguments with sometimes dads like being like, ah, oh, no, you shouldn't change those wheels or those whatever it is. And it's like, it's not my opinion. Like we did times and I chose the fastest time. Why would I not? You know, it's, it's free time. You get something on the bike that makes you faster, that's free. <laughs> Don't have to go and do any road miles for that one. So... And that's that's something I just love about it. That doesn't it doesn't determine your value as a human or but you race and you get a result and it's that's what it is. How long did it take you to understand that racing doesn't determine your value as a human? Um <clears throat> I can honestly say I don't think I'm fully there yet. Interesting. That's uh I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if I am or not. Or like, it's, you still, it still creeps into your identity. I think so. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, a, does, that's a level of self-awareness that's difficult. And, like, back to that, what I said before, like, I don't know what I don't know, you know. But I've had the thought recently, like, I don't really enjoy social media too much. I love that I get to see what my friends are doing and it's easy to message my friends and that kind of thing. But I'm also like, I do enjoy it when people like my post or comment on it. It is like, it does give me a good feeling being patted on the back and people telling you how good you are. And that, 
like when that goes away, I don't know how I'll react. You'd be to that. lying like, to say that it doesn't feel good. Yeah. When someone's like great race or like yeah. picking you up, like obviously, of course it feels, it feels great. Good. It's kind of yeah. not true in the grand schemes of things, and like we're this mm. little small little ant on this, you know, this yeah. globe. But in the moment, standing mm. on a podium, I was watching. I mean, Andy Cole. Yeah. Or Valley. Yeah. To do that in front of a home crowd or just get on the podium, like mm-hmm. they're modern day rock stars up there, mm-hmm. sh- chanting their name, like you'd be lying to say that doesn't feel really, really good. Yeah. It's kind it of like feels amazing. It's kind of like yeah. a sort of an addiction mm-hmm. to chase that feeling. And no, not everybody gets that. Like I think about world champs in Cairns, like who gets the opportunity to get a medal at world champs for one and to do it five minutes from mum and dad's house with 10,000 people blowing smoke up my ass, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it feels amazing. Blowing, well, no, that and was it's, pretty true it's, on that day. It's true. It's not smoke. They were just yeah. patting you on the back. But it it feels amazing. And who gets to have that? And like, you don't need it, but it's, this life is not basic necessity, like, everything around us is excess. Like, why does the sunset look and feel so good? It's, there's not a necessity to that. Like, it, it's excess. And that goes back to my belief in this life being a gift from God, you know, and so many things in the world that feel good. But, yeah, that kind of my self-worth being attached to my results or... I'd say now it's a lot less about my results and more about being a good team member and doing a good job within the team. And um, that's kind of more important to me. And that's probably more where I would struggle with my self worth being attached to. Like, yeah, providing someone, value to other people almost. Yeah, yeah. And value to the team and value, value to my family. And, but then it's like, how much of that is like, a good thing or a negative thing or I was reading that, a book and the, um, <clears throat> it's, he's got a saying like don't forget to look down mm-hmm. um, and that is a form of like gratitude like you could be in second and there's a guy in mm-hmm. third or there's a guy in fourth imagine mm-hmm. what champs fourth yeah. middle I don't have to imagine it I've done that <laughs> yeah so you, yeah. you can really like empathize yeah. oh shit if I look mm-hmm. down second is a lot better than that Mm-hmm. or being able to race my bike is a lot better than this, or a guy doesn't qualify is a lot better mm-hmm. than me qualifying. Like, mm-hmm. If you remind yourself to look down in life as well, it mm-hmm. makes you appreciate like where you are and maybe we're getting deep or not, but I think it helps you get mm-hmm. through the shit times. Yeah, I think that is it is important to just, I'd say just have your eyes open and be self-aware and, and not just self-aware but aware of all your surroundings, everything. And I think... I would caution against looking down in the sense of I personally have a tendency to be like, well, at least I'm not as unlucky as that guy or as bad as that guy or as slow as that guy. Or, and then you're kind of like, oh, I wish I was as rich as that guy or I wish I'd won as many races as Greg or what, whatever it is. And it's just... I really believe that the point of the of life is to learn and grow and you get to 
feel it. Like life's hard, training's hard, and you get a benefit from it. Life's hard and we go through hard things and then you can either, that can either just steal your joy, steal your life, or you can learn how to enjoy it, make the most of it and be be a healthy functioning being in the universe. Well, there you have it. I mean, I think that's put a bow in it, Mick. <laughs> it was long overdue. Yeah. I think uh, we could go on for a lot longer and obviously have round two, round three if you're up for it. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, man, I wish you all the best. And uh, as per usual, thanks for the feedback. Go reach out to Mick. Um, I think he does great things for the sport and still will for many years to come. So if he actually decides to retire one day, <laughs> is it a deal you'll come back on? Yeah. Talk about that process. Yeah, I'd love to. I, I love reflecting on it to, to have a career like this and this much experience. It'd be rude not to share. Wicked. Thanks, guys. You know what to do. Uh, send us a message. Make sure you follow the show um, and leave us a review. Till the next one. Peace. Thank you. During my racing years and even now, I take my health and nutrition pretty seriously, I must say. It was so difficult though to stick to a routine and to remember to take all those necessary supplements. Then I found AG1. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. Now you might ask, what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I have never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. Honestly, I actually look forward to taking it. I do it first thing in the morning. I feel more alert and focused and I know I'm taking care of my body and health. I feel energized to get my day going. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be easier and that's why I trust AG1. I just mix one small scoop with water and drink it first thing each morning as I said and then I'm done. So check this out. With that one scoop of AG1 I've been talking about, you're absorbing, listen to this, 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics and adaptogens to help start your day right. This is a special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, recovery and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs and none of that nasty chemical artificial anything, all while still tasting good. Now let's all be honest with each other. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality recovery, mental clarity and alertness. Now I don't care what you do in life, I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by so many professional athletes and health experts. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle, that's again drinkag1.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The link will be in the show notes as well. Thanks to our episode sponsor ODI. Now I've been on these and only these grips for well over 20 years. How cool is that? I clearly remember we couldn't even get them in South Africa back in the day when I was a junior. The minute I got my hands on a pair of these lock-on grips, I never looked back. They are the original lock-on. They have an incredible range of options out there. But I want to tell you a little bit about something new they're offering. 
drawing on over 40 years of experience of producing performance-driven grips and feedback from their extensive network of top riders across the globe. The Reflex Grip have been engineered to reduce impacts and vibration being passed onto the rider's hands to allow you to ride more with less pain and fatigue. Reflex Grips are the latest innovation in impact dampening to keep you riding longer and farther as they've been specifically engineered to reduce vibration like having suspension-free hands without compromising control. They use their propriety grip compound with its superior impact damping properties and couple this with responsive ribbed padding that actively flexes under your hands to reduce impacts and torsional forces. Now those are some fancy words, but let me tell you, this just really is gonna help you with less fatigue, less pain. You're gonna be able to ride longer. So what's not to like about that? Not to mention their version 2.1 lock-on grip system gives you the most reliable, slip-free grip performance available. Hey, if you want to learn more, head over to odigrips.com or pop into your nearest retailer.